let me tell you a little about our speaker. Nidiaris Hernandez Santos. Nidiaris is from Puerto Rico, and she is an amazing woman. She is a research scientist at the UW. She has, she's a bright light down there. She, I've been down there when she has spoken to her peers on faith and science. She serves this church as an elder and on our prophetic team. She's, she's very smart in her mind, but she's got a flowing heart. Absolutely amazing combination. She also has a degree from Christian Life College, an associate's degree that she finished last year. And even right now, she's wrestling through the call of God. There's a call on her to preach. And she doesn't know exactly what that's going to look like or how that's going to be expressed. But she is a blessing to all of us. And I'm so excited to have an elder address this congregation. It's different than a pastor. An elder can say things and, and, and bring about things as one of the congregation in a way a pastor can't. And I'm so happy that she is all of that, and I consider a per, her a personal friend. She's such a blessing. Would you welcome with me Nidiaris? Am I on? Hello? Awesome. Good morning. Or like we say in my native Puerto Rico, buenos dias. Um, it is such a joy for me to be here today, um, and I am so excited. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word? The title for this message today is Contending for the Presence of God, People of a Different Spirit. Um, I'm reading from Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 to 25. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt... And in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice. Shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Jesus, we thank you, God, for the amazing privilege of just listening to you and studying your word. Thank you for the honor of hearing you speak. Thank you for the honor of coming before you in prayer. My request this morning is simple. Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, at some point last year, you probably heard Pastor Tom uh, talk about entering the promised land, referring to God's promises for City Church and for Madison. But what exactly does the promised land mean? How does that look like? Well, I'd like to clarify for the purposes of this sermon that when we say promised land in the context of biblical history, we are referring to a physical piece of land known in the Bible as Canaan and known to us today as the country of Israel, which in case you didn't know where that is, is at the southern part of um, south of Turkey towards the east, uh, northeast of Egypt, um, sort of in that location of the Middle East. When we are talking about city church, and the, and the greater region of Madison, we are talking about the promised land using it as, metaphor, as a metaphor, as figurative language for the promises of God for this church, for the promises of God for this region, for city church. 
We have heard about revival. We have heard about healing. We have heard about the church awakening to God's love, to God's power. What specifically does revival mean? Well, I think, you know, Tom will be the first one to say that we don't really know exactly what that looks like or we don't have a clear roadmap yet. But one thing we know is that we're supposed to believe God, we're called to believe God and to contend for it. And that is why one of the city church values is contending for more of God's presence. And today, we're going to continue with the promised land theme, but we're going to look at it from a slightly different angle. We're going to talk about the people that go into the promised land, the people that enter there, and specifically about a man named Caleb, of whom the Lord said had a different spirit. And then after that, we'll explore what Caleb's attitude can teach us about contending for the presence of God. But before we dive deep into that, I'd like to take you back a little bit into biblical history. Now, God promised to Abraham, we're going way back, all the way back to Abraham. God promised to Abraham two things, land, and that land was precisely Canaan, and descendants. And so he had two sons, Isaac and Jacob, and out of Jacob came 12 sons, which constituted the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons was Joseph, and he was sold into slavery to Egypt by his brothers. And in Egypt, the Lord prospered him. The Lord gave him power. He was able to bless Egypt in terms of finances. And they, he prospered so much. Egypt prospered so much that in a time of famine, Egypt had provisions. And so he was able to receive his family there in a time of scarcity. And the Israelites... Um, the 12 tribes of Israel gave rise to the Israelite nation. Um, They prospered abundantly in Egypt. They multiplied so much. And the Pharaoh that was in power at the time saw them as a threat and decided to enslave them in order to keep them in check. And this is when Moses comes into play. God raised up Moses to free the Israelites from slavery. And so Moses came, and God did amazing things through Moses. He freed the people of Israel from slavery. He parted the Red Sea in two. God guided them through the wilderness. God was with them them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God provided manna for them. God provided meat for them. God provided everything and did amazing signs and wonders in their midst as they traveled through the desert. And the Israelites doubted God many times, sinned many times, but the Lord in his mercy forgave them. So now, the Israelites are very, very close to the promised land in a place called the wilderness of Paran, and in a place inside that wilderness called Kadesh Barnea. I think there is a map somewhere I wanted to show you. You see where that star is? That is the wilderness of Paran. And that is how close they were to the promised land. The bodies of water you see there at the north is the Sea of Galilee. And there is the Jordan River that connects it to the Dead Sea. So that is is Israel. And that start is how close they were. So Moses gets word from the Lord to send some spies into the land. You know, he wanted to get his intel before they went in. And you can find this in Numbers chapter 13. And so what he did, the Lord told him, I want you to get these spies, and it's one per tribe. And Caleb was among those spies. He was the representative from the tribe of Judah. And I should also mention at this point that Joshua was among those spies as well. Now the spies go, And you can see in the map, you saw the journey. They went from all the way from south to north into the land. So you can see that um, they explored the whole land, and the Bible says that they did that for 40 days. So they came back to Moses. They brought back all their intel, and they said, Moses, let me tell you something. This land is as good as it says in the books. (laughs) It's as good as the Lord told you it was. But there is a problem. 
There is a ton of fortified cities there. They're difficult to penetrate. And we also have another problem, and that is that people are strong, and the land is full of enemies, and guess what? There are giants in the land. So you may imagine that this might be a terrifying report, and you may imagine that the people might have gotten upset. But the Bible says that Caleb quieted the people. That is in Numbers 13.30, and it says... Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. He was encouraging the people. You know, this looks, it looks intimidating, but the Lord has promised this to us, and we should go get it. The other spies, except Joshua, they insisted on the impossibility of the mission, and they spread a bad report throughout the Israelite community. They said it was hard to conquer, that they will never be able to do it. And this bad report had devastating consequences for the people of Israel. Israel, And one of those consequences was the attitude of the Israelites. In Numbers 14, 1 through 4, it says, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against, against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So you can see the attitude of the Israelites. You can see, number one, you can see a lack of faith. Number two, you can see that they were gripped by fear of the inhabitants of the land. And number three, you can see that they rebelled against the Lord because they wanted to choose another leader to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery and back to where the Lord had delivered them from. And the second consequence that this bad report had was a delay in the fulfillment of God's promises and consequently the realization of Israel's destiny. Israel's destiny. Listen, after the Israelites rebelled, the Bible says that Moses and Aaron fell on their faces because they had understood the great depth of their sin. And Caleb tried to once more encourage the Israelites to go and take take possession of what was already theirs. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? It was already theirs. That's what the Bible says. They just had to go get it. God had promised it to them. And we'll return return to that in a minute. Just let us read what Caleb said. In Numbers 14, verses 7 through 10. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. I love this Caleb guy. (laughs) Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. The Israelites, as you can see there, Caleb tried to encourage them, but they didn't listen to him. They wanted to stone them. So they had to bear the consequences of that rebellion. And you know what? They got exactly what they asked for. They were going to go back to the wilderness for 40 years, one for each day the spies spent in the promised land spying it out. Beloved, Before I move on, I want to caution us from something. Be aware of complacency when things get hard. Sometimes we see the promised land, and we see all the good that God has for us, and we see the promises of God right underneath our noses. But then we also see the scope of God's calling, and we also see how great it is that what God wants to do in us. And we see how awesome His plans are, and, and how great the promises of God are. 
but we also realize that we're going to have to face battles and that we're going to have to face the giants in the lands and we're going to have hardship. And all of a sudden we say, oh, you know, the place where I'm at doesn't seem that bad after all. I could be real happy here. That is a lie of the enemy to keep us from the promises of God. It is the deception of the enemy. And today here, my job, I think it is to let you know, don't stop there. Let's go. That's it. That's what I came to say. Now we can just go, all go home. <laughs> so, now the question is, how do we avoid this? How do we avoid lack of fear? How do we avoid lack of faith, sorry? How do we ab- avoid fear? And how do we avoid rebellion from preventing us from getting to the promises of God? Well, you guessed it, by being like Caleb and ha- being a person of a different spirit. Now, look at what I'm going to read our main text today so that we're back into, into context here. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely are the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of these, of those who spurn me, see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys, turn tomorrow, and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So you can see here that the Israelites basically, and I think that if I am not mistaken, the Bible says that all of those that were 20 or more were going to perish in the desert, and they were not going to see the land, except for Caleb and his buddy Joshua. So what did they do right? So glad you asked. That's what we're going to look at. (laughs) They had, number one, We're talking about the qualities of the people of a different spirit. There is a yes in their mouth. We have already seen that Caleb, you know, while everybody else said, no, 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 Caleb was saying, yes, 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 let's go. And I really hope that you have people like this in your life. People that encourage you. We will call those encouragers, and they might even be a little annoying sometimes. Because they challenge you to go higher. They challenge you to do what is hard, what is difficult. These people are jealous for your destiny. They are jealous for you. They are jealous for the things that the Lord has for you. And they will not let you make excuses. You keep telling them how hard everything is. And they are like, no, it's not. (laughs) I'm sure you have a name in your head right now about that annoying friend that keeps wanting you to do things you're scared of. Those are the kind of friends you need. And let me tell you something. Caleb's yes was not, he was not delusional. He was not crazy. This was not wishful thinking. You know why? Caleb was fully aware that there were giants on the land. He knew that. He was there. He was fully aware that it was going to be difficult. But his yes was in agreement with the yes that God had already pronounced over Israel. His yes was based on the promises of God to Abraham, to whom God said, I will give you a land. His yes was in agreement with what God had told Moses, I will bring you into the land that flows with milk and honey. So he was saying yes, and in other words, in, in Nidiaris' contemporary language, what he was saying is like, listen, this land is already ours, and yes, it's going to be hard, but my fellow Israelites, would you get with the program, and let's go. Let's go. This land is already ours. So, and you can see that really clearly the second time that Caleb tried to encourage them, which we already read, is in Numbers 14, 7 to 9. And I just want to highlight where we can see this in Scripture. It says, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. That is a clue to what God had told Moses. 
So he knew this was his, and it was the Israelites. And then in that last verse, it says, their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. So he was not delusional. He knew God was on their side. He wasn't crazy. He knew that the God of angel armies, he knew that the God that had parted the Red Sea was on their side. That is why he was so gung-ho about let's go get this land because he knew who was fighting for them. And it was none other than Yahweh. The same one that gave Moses the Ten Commandments in Sinai. The same one. And Caleb knew that. So Caleb's resolve, resolve and determination to go take possession of this land was based in trust in the promises of God. Church, I'm going to tell you something. The Lord has already pronounced his yes over you. Would you agree with his yes? The Bible says that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. It says that in Ephesians chapter 1. It says that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. It says that in Matthew. Would you agree with his yes? The Lord has spoken amazing things over this house. About revival. About healings. About awakening to God's love. About walking in the gifts of the Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with his yes? Would we get with the program, like Caleb will say? Would you trust him in order for us to go to the places where the Lord wants to take us? Our feet need to move at the rhythm of God's heartbeat. And I'm going to say that again. In order for us to go where the Lord wants to take us, our, heart, our feet need to move at the rhythm of his heartbeat. Can you hear it? Can you hear God's heartbeat for this church? Can you hear it, church? There is so much for this house. So, the next time you, see, you feel one of those annoying friends, we'll call them encouraging. <laughs> one of those encouraging friends one of those people to, that seem to push you to do things that are scary. One of those people that are constantly pushing you and trying to kick you a little bit to do things that you're uncomfortable with. Listen carefully. Listen. That person is jealous for you. Jealous for your destiny. And they don't want the enemy to keep you from the promises of God. The second quality of the people of a different spirit, like it says in, the, in our text today, is that they follow God fully. In other words, they follow God wholeheartedly. <clears throat> what does wholeheartedness mean? I was thinking about this the other day, and something crazy came to my mind. It means God's get the whole pie. How, how American of me, talking about pie. Um, <clears throat> You take, you take a pie, let's say you take a pie, and you slice it in eight pieces. God doesn't want one-eighth. He doesn't want three-eighths. He doesn't want even half. He wants the whole thing. So why do you bother slicing it anyway? <laughs> That's what wholeheartedness means. God, God gets the whole pie. And sometimes I feel like in our lives, we try to slice it up and we say, oh, these are my, my, my relationships, this is my finances, this is my career, this is this and this is that. We slice it up like it's like a bank account. You know, you have an account for different things. And the Lord is like, would you stop that and give me the whole thing? Would you let me own you? Wholeheartedness means surrendering completely to God's will. That's what it means. It means to just give it all to God. Listen, we hold on to certain things because we want to keep control. And keeping control gives us the illusion of freedom. Let me say that again. Keeping control gives us the illusion of freedom. But that's it. It's only an illusion because the truth is that that thing, whatever that is, it, it owns you. Is holding your heart. 
which means that God doesn't have you. Beloved, I want to tell you something. This was me. As Tom said, I am a scientist. It takes a really long time to be a scientist, to train. You know, you have to go through like a gazillion years of school. I won't even say how many because I... It's ridiculous. And um, it takes a lot of traveling, a lot of training, a lot of moving from place to place to train with different people. And I was just too attached to my career, you know? And I tried to tell God, God, do you know how long it's taken me to train for this? Like, he didn't know. (laughs) Like, he didn't know. And I was just too wrapped up in that until one day I was sitting at home preparing a sermon because I was traveling with Sandaram to Colombia. And when you're traveling with Sam, you better be ready because you never know when you're speaking. <clears throat> Who knows? So I was getting my sermon ready, and I was, I was um, led to Philippians 3. And oh boy, Philippians 3 has become my lifeline, a, a life passage for me. And there, if you read it, I I highly recommend it. It's a really good read. Well, the whole Bible is, but Philippians 3 is my favorite. (laughs) Philippians 3 there, Paul is saying, like, you know, if anyone could boast in the flesh, that would be me. I am a Hebrew of, of Hebrews. In other words, I am a true Israelite. I train with the best people of the day. We all know he trained on Del Gamaliel, one of the most reputable teachers of the law in Israel. When we talk about the law, I'm blameless. In other, wo- in other words, he was like the creme of the creme. He was the sherry on top of the whipped cream. So he was saying, if anyone could boast on the flesh, it's me. But you know what he said? He said something amazing in Philippians 3, 7 to 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish for, so that I may gain Christ. Friends, I'm not saying that having goals is wrong. I'm not saying that studying is wrong. No, no. I love studying. I love books. I, I, I'm all up for studying, for having goals, and for just going and working with excellence. But nothing, nothing can take the place of God. God has to be our supreme goal. That's what wholeheartedness means. But wait. Listen to what Paul said later. In the same chapter, verses 12 to 14, it says, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and reaching forward for what lies ahead. Well, some things are better shown than said, so let's, let's do this. Excuse me. So Paul is using a metaphor there of a race. And let's say the, the goal is right here, and Jesus is here. This is the finish line. And so Paul is using a metaphor there of a race to illustrate his journey towards knowing Christ and towards knowing Jesus. So what he's saying is, I press on. I continue to go forward so that I may know him. But you see, we come to God with a a whole lot of baggage. And the baggage includes our, our failures, it includes our sin, it includes our shame, it includes our past, so many things, but it also includes our accomplishments. It also includes our successes, because you see, the more you keep holding on to that, then you cannot see what's forward. 
So Paul is saying, well, I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep running towards the goal. And you know what's happening, right? The more I keep knowing Jesus, the more I keep running this race, the more, the more I keep walking towards Jesus, the closer he is, the closer I see him, the clearer the picture becomes. Right? And you know what happens? The clearer the picture becomes, the better. Because all of a sudden our baggage doesn't matter. It pales in comparison to the majesty, to the greatness, to the goodness of the one that's waiting at the finish line. All of a sudden we keep running. And our accomplishments, they don't matter anymore. Because the one that is here at the finish line is supremely worthy, is beautiful, is awesome, is powerful. He is the one that calls us sons and daughters. He is the one that has drawn us to himself. He is the one that has clothed us in righteousness. He is the one that calls you his beloved. He is the one that calls you his bride. So all of a sudden, our accomplishments don't matter anymore. All of a sudden, our shame and Gosh, do not matter anymore because the one that is at the finish line is supremely worthy, church. Supremely worthy. Supremely worthy. And you know what? When I come to him, I am so glad he doesn't call me doctor. He doesn't call me doctor. He called me by name. He could care less about the letters at the end of my name. He cares about what's here, about what's on my heart. So church, wait, that's not all. You know, in every race, there are fans, right? Do you know what it says in Hebrews 12? Let me tell you, because this is quite awesome. If I can get my pages straightened up here. Okay, there we go. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, let me check the time. We're doing good. So as we run this race, running and running, there are fans. And it says there we have a cloud of witnesses. And listen, the Bible doesn't say this, but just use your imagination with me. As we are running, I could just hear Abraham saying, run, girl, run. Remember, I was as good as dead. I was falling apart when I had my son, and now my descendants are as many as the stars in the sky. And I could hear Moses saying, run, sister, run. Because one day, you will see him face to face, like I did on earth and like I do now for all eternity. And I could hear Paul saying, run, sister, run, because his power is made perfect in your weakness. And when you think that you're running, more like crawling, and when you think that you're not going to be able to get there because you're crawling, that is when my grace, I'm going to pour my grace over you so much that you're not even going to believe the things that I will do through you. Oh, yeah. You know, and I can hear, every time I think about this race, I can hear John. I can hear John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, saying, girl, you better run, 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 because pretty soon you're going to be able to collapse in the arms of Jesus. And you're going to be able to cry your eyeballs out of his feet. So church, if you get anything out of this message today, I want to say run, 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 because your reward is great. Run, because in the finish line, you get to see Jesus.
and he is supremely worthy. He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of everything. So surrender. Give him the whole pie. Because that was, that's what he wants. Let us stop trying to slice up our lives in nice little compartments because it doesn't work that way. I mean, I'm telling you, I've been through this many times. And let me tell you something. Giving God our whole lives is not a sacrifice. It's the least we can do. I'm going to say that again. Giving God our whole lives is not a sacrifice. It's the least we can do in light of what he has done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Church, let love propel you to run this race. As you go deep in the knowledge of God, and as you get to know him, and you go deep into his character, and you go deep into who he is, you're going to be so madly in love with him that obedience is not going to be a burden. It's going to be a delight. And you're going to say, God, take the whole pie. Take the whole thing. Use me however you want. And you know what it says in 1 John 5, 3? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Close parenthesis. Now the third quality of the people of a different spirit is that they stand in God's faithfulness. Now in order to be able to unpack this a little bit, I need to take you a few decades forward to Joshua chapter 4. Now the Israelites were in front of the Jordan River about to cross to conquer Jericho. And so God, what God did was he parted the, the Jordan River in two. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Where did that happen? At the Red Sea, right? Just hold on to that because it's important. So he parted the Jordan River in two so that the Israelites could cross. <clears throat> but then he said, listen, Joshua. I want you to get 12 men, a representative for each tribe, and gather 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan. And you're going to set them up at Gilgal. Say Gilgal. Hold on to that one too. You're going to set them up there in that place. That is where Joshua will set up his camp. Now, why these memorial stones? Why did God tell them to do that? What were they remembering? Well, in Joshua 4, 19 through 24, it says, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you you had crossed. Just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So listen, by remembering the time when they crossed the Jordan River, they were remembering the present time, the time we were, they were in at the moment. <clears throat> and by remembering, God told them, you also have to remember when I parted the Red Sea way back when. They were remembering the past. In other words, those tones were a reminder to the to the but a reminder to the people of their whole journey. They were remembering the journey. And in remembering the journey, they also had to remember not only that God parted the Red Sea, 
but that the Lord protected them through the desert, but that the Lord provided for them, that the Lord gave them manna, that the Lord gave them meat, that the Lord gave them shelter through the desert. They had to remember the whole thing. So now, fast forward a little bit. We have Joshua and his leaders after they conquered the land. We have Joshua, Caleb, and all the leaders. They were dividing up the land. And in Joshua chapter 14, we have a request that Caleb made to Joshua. Let's read it. Joshua 14, verses 6 through 12. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua. Where? Ah. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, I didn't have time to ask Tom how to pronounce that, so I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> the Kinezite said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought work back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me, may the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. <clears throat> now behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke, these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day... That Anakim, those were the giants, that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Don't you love him? I love this Caleb guy. I really do. So where were they? Where were they? At Gilgal. And where were the memorial stones? Ha! So, I mean, some scholars debate whether it was the same Gilgal or not. It probably was. And listen, beloved, this is not explicitly written in Scripture, but I like to submit to you that maybe Caleb, when he made this request, was staring at those stones. Maybe when he was there at Gilgal so many years later, he was staring at those memorial stones they had erected when they first came to conquer the land. And these memorial stones, you know what they reminded him of? They reminded him of the faithfulness of God. You know why? Because in staring at the stones, he had to remember not only the time when he came with Joshua and the other the, the Israelites to conquer the land when God parted the Jordan River in two, but what else were they remembering? The Red Sea, right? He had to go back all the way to the Red Sea because that's what the memorial stones were for, to remember the whole journey. So Caleb was sitting there. I can just, I can just imagine. I have a very vivid imagination. So I can just imagine Caleb just staring at those stones and remembering all those times through the desert when they thought they weren't going to make it and remembering all those times when the heat was killing them and they were wondering if they were going to make it to this land and God came through for them every single time. And I remember, I, I can imagine Caleb remembering this journey and just turning around and saying to his buddy, Joshua, Hey, Josh, do you remember that time when Moses sent us to spy the land where our feet are standing right now? Do you remember that we came and we spied and we brought back news to Moses? You remember how the other spies made the, the hearts of the people melt with fear? But I followed the Lord fully. But I followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And he promised through Moses that he was going to give me this very land where I'm standing right now. He said it was going to be for my children and for me. 
Listen, I was 40 years old then, and I'm 85 now, but guess what? I am full of vigor. I am full of strength. Let me go and get it. Let me go to that hill country, and with the Lord's blessing, I will drive those giants out because that is my inheritance. That is mine. So I'm going to go get it. And the Bible says that Joshua gave him his blessing and sent him on his way. Perhaps reminiscing of God's faithfulness gave Caleb the courage to move forward. You know, he was thinking, man, God has been with me all this time and through all those trials. Why would it be any different in the future? He's been faithful and his name does not change. The Bible says that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. That he is the alpha and the omega. That he is the owner of all the resources. And that he is faithful. So Joshua did, um, Caleb did the math in his head. Hey, why would it be different now? I'm just going to go get it. And then the second thing, reminiscing on on the stones, on the faithfulness of God reminded him of his objective. Man, all that trial was for this moment. I'm not going to back down now. I'm going after it. I'm going to go get what God already promised me. So church, when was the last time you took a look at the faithfulness of God in your life? When was the last time you rehearsed how faithful God has been to you? Do you remember the promises of God over your life? Do you remember the things God has spoken over your life? Do you think it's too hard? Think again, my friend. God is faithful to bring his promises to pass. And that land, listen to me, has your name on it. Take courage. Let faithfulness propel you forward. City Church is a testimony of the faithfulness of God, friends. I wasn't here for when the two churches came together. I came in 2013. But you know what I did in the past few days? I went to do some digging. And I went and asked Tom what he thought some of the words that have been most significant throughout the years were. And here's what he said. City Church is a sign that the end times that in the end times, God will be using the citywide church. When the two churches come together, it will be a sign from God that there will be an end times revival. The father is bringing the prodigal and the older brother together for his own joy. The mark of the new church will be joy because of the father's overflowing joy of bringing prodigals and older brothers together. Not just in our church, but through our church to others. Ask me for a double anointing. Make a bonfire and I will blow on it, leading to a brush fire that will only be guided by me. So on a cold December day, you know what happened? The Mad City Church folks came here on a procession to this location here at Lake City Church. I found all this out these last few days. They came walking, walking, walking to Lake City Church, what was then Lake City Church, and the Lake City Church folks were waiting for them in the school parking lot, and then they all had lunch together. And you know what the Mad City Church folks were carrying when they came? That cross over there. Have you ever wondered what that cross is doing there? Well, that's a reminder of God's faithfulness for you. That's what that is. So, listen, only God could do this. Only God could take these two churches and join them as one. God took two very different churches with their own situations, with their own problems, and brought them together. One church had a building and lots of debt. The other church had no building, and they had to set up hundreds of chairs every Sunday morning. One church had a very formal culture. The other church was not formal at all. (laughs) One church wanted to pass the offering plate, and the other church did not. And get this. You know what else I found out? 
this church had orange carpet. <laughs> Look at how far we've come. <laughs> That's the faithfulness of God right there for you, church. No more orange carpet. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that only God could do that. Only God. And so this was only the beginning. There is much more for us. Beloved, we don't have memorial stones here physically, like literal stones. But we have people that were here for the whole thing. And they remind us of God's faithfulness. Let us remember the journey because guess what? If we forget where we have been, we will forget where we're going. And as we remember the journey, we will remember that the reason City Church exists is for one simple thing, to behold the beauty of the Lord. That's it. That's it. So church, let us follow the example of Caleb. Let us be people of a different spirit who have a yes in their mouth. People of faith, people that follow God wholeheartedly. Let us be people that go after the promises of God, that stand on his faithfulness. Whether you are 20 years old or 90, you have no excuse. Because Caleb, guess what? He was all in at 40 and all in at 85. So no excuses welcome. Let us be people of a different spirit and let us go get our inheritance. Because church, it's got your name on it. God bless you. You're welcome. us today of who you are, who we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. Lord, knit us together, first to you and then to each other. And please, God, let every purpose that you have be accomplished for us individually, but for also for us as a congregation. We bless you and we trust you. In Jesus' name.